grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Words have meaning. They are not empty. We speak to communicate, and God speaks to us to deliver his truth. For God's word does what it says, because the Holy Spirit is always at work through God's pure word as it is proclaimed and as it is taught. God accomplishes what he pleases in his word. And so the phrase, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a false phrase. We try to brush things off when people may say hurtful things to us as we apply this phrase, but that does not mean that we will go unscarred by the words of others. Because others can and do say hurtful things, and face it, we are all guilty of hurting others with our words, it shows that words can certainly hurt. And God gave us voices so that we can speak. We speak in the divine service deliberately and clearly the wonderful and saving works of God, especially as we confess the Christian faith using the creed and as we pray the Lord's Prayer. God uses words for our good. And so what God does is in his word, he pronounces that we are forgiven, that our sins are canceled out. In his word, we learn that Jesus really did go to the cross where he died for us. And through this word, he cleanses us even of the scars and the pollution that we have received through the hurtful words of others. Another way words are not always helpful are in the idioms that we sometimes say, in addition to sticks and stones. For we often don't think about what those words mean. So one of those phrases is to die for. After biting into chocolate lava cake, someone may say, oh, this cake is to die for. Is it really worth dying for? Obviously, this phrase is not, an, is not serious, but is in, intended as an exaggeration. But should Christians really be found saying it? What's this fixation anyway on death when God is the author of life? We shouldn't equate enjoyable first article gifts with death. Yet there are things that are worth dying for. In his divine love, God decided that we are worth dying for. That's why the Father sent his only begotten Son. He wanted to reconcile us to himself. We are precious to him, and he holds us as the apple of his eye. He gives us worth that is beyond comparing, and he sent Jesus to die for us to save us. We are worth it to him. Because we are God's creation made in the image of God, there is no such thing as an unwanted or an unloved person. God has a plan and purpose for all people, and so he has decreed that we and all people are worth dying for. Jesus died to save us. Other things that are literally to die for involve more or less crosses or vocations that are placed upon us. So we don't make that choice, such as being in the position to save another's 
life which might then cost us our own. Or if a person has the vocation of a soldier and dies defending our country. Or us as Christians, we are called upon to give a pure confession of the Christian faith and it may be that we could die in defending our Christian faith. We are now entering that time of the year of the church in which confirmations often take place. And the pro promise that is made by our confirmands is that we will suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from the pure word of God. Next, chapter 5, the apostles were beaten and commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. And what was their response when they incurred, incurred such a punishment? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. They kept on preaching. Stephen, just a couple chapters later, is the first recorded martyr in the New Testament, dying as he gave a pure confession of the faith. And these disciples who rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer in the name of God kept on preaching. And so following Christ may involve the loss of earthly goods, and it could cost our earthly life. So be it, because God grants to us eternal life as his children. Another idiom that is not good is the devil is in the details. This relatively new phrase has become rather common. People say that it was only coined just a few decades ago, if it, but yet it's, it's, it's become very common. People want to emphasize the importance of paying attention to the various details in life. If we don't pay attention to details, then things could easily go wrong or go awry. If Jesus was planning a banquet in today's gospel and didn't pay attention to the details, things would go wrong. And also, if people are planning for a banquet such as a wedding feast, they pay attention usually to even the smallest details to help prevent things from going wrong, to help make things go smoothly. If they overlook this or that detail, problems may arise and the feast may not go so well. This idiom, the devil is in the details, is based on a much better one that is found in the German language. The Germans say, Dear Liebe Gott steckt im Detail, which means God is in the details. God is in the details. You see, God pays attention to all the details, even when it doesn't seem like he does, as we will also hear in Jesus' account of feeding the 5,000. Some people pay careful attention to details. In many cases, this is good. In some cases, it is not good. Some get bogged so down with detail that they have dif difficulty functioning. As that saying goes, they cannot see the forest for the trees. But others pay so much attention to detail, they come up with grand ideas, or so others don't pay so much attention to detail, they come up with grand ideas, they see this giant picture, and they overlook all the necessary details to make it happen. They dream big of their aspirations, but their aspirations fall flat. And for them, of course, they cannot see the trees for the forest. At first glance, it would seem that that's what's happening in today's gospel. A multitude had seen the signs which Jesus had performed on the sick. The multitude had witnessed what Jesus had done, performing this amazing miracle of healing those who are sick. 
And they were so focused on this one detail that Jesus can heal people that they wanted to follow him where he was going to witness more of this miracle. They did not take a step back to see who, God, who Jesus really is, that is God himself, but they just wanted to witness this act of God. They became so fixated on this aspect of Jesus that they didn't realize what was happening, that they were following Jesus as he was walking up a mountain in the wilderness, a place where there is no food, and they are getting too far away from good sources of food. Jesus, knowing that this crowd is following him, they're there because they are going to the Passover. They're going down to Jerusalem. It's 5,000 men, that is 5,000 families. Women and children, of course, participated in the Passover pilgrimages. And so Jesus, seeing this crowd approaching, he speaks. From the surface, it seems Jesus forgot to pay attention to the details. But his word that he speaks is a test. He says to Philip, where should we buy bread so that this crowd may eat? And the tone of voice that Philip spoke could well have been less than charitable as he was replying to Jesus. Look, Jesus, if I could work for 200 days in just one moment and get paid right now to go buy food, that would not even be enough to provide even a little bit to this crowd. I can't even go and buy food because we are in the wilderness. It's like saying, look, thousands of people suddenly descended upon Lexington. If I had all the money needed to buy out all the food at the local restaurants, I would, but that would still not be enough to feed all the people that just suddenly showed up. And Andrew finds a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, and Andrew isn't impressed either. He points to Jesus, hey, look, this guy has it, but what is this paltry amount of food among so many people? It's like they were hinting at Jesus that he forgot to pay attention to those details. But Jesus declares, have the people sit down. Apparently, Jesus did notice the details. Our gospel reports something interesting. It's also recorded in two other times in which this feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in the other Gospels. All four Gospels speak of this miracle. It says that there was much grass in that place. You see, Jesus did not lead them to some arbitrary, uncomfortable, rocky mountain, as is common in the Holy Lands, but instead Jesus led them to a specific grassy mountain. The only time in the New Testament in which the people are described as being in a grassy place is right here where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And so Jesus leads them to a comfortable place, a pleasant place, a green pasture, which is what our Lord does as the good shepherd. He led them to this mountainside so that he could perform yet another amazing miracle for them to witness so that his glory would be revealed and so that he can show that he is the one doing this miracle, and it wasn't done by any type of trick by, by people. So he leads them, and he shows he can do far greater than even healing the sick, because he can produce, produce much out of little, feeding the multitude. The people are told to be seated. Jesus does as he does, which is he blesses the food. He gives thanks, and in doing so, he speaks. The word of God, which is powerful, does what the word 
what God accomplishes through his will. For remember, this word has power. He then distributes the food to the disciples who distribute it to the people who are seated. And everyone receives as much as he desires until they are all full. Jesus performs a stunning miracle. No one had to go out and buy bread. Jesus did not desert them, leaving them hungry. But Jesus reveals his compassion. He reveals his ability. He reveals his divinity. And our Lord, being a master of details, wants to let nothing go to waste. He asks that all the leftovers be gathered. They fill 12 baskets from those five barley loaves. When we think of a basket, we might think of something that's really small. It's interesting what the artist on our bulletin cover decided to do for a basket. They're very large. But this shows the amazing work of God. More is left over than at the beginning. We are not told what happens to these leftovers, but since Jesus makes it clear he doesn't want to waste it, this implies that they would have eventually eaten it. Now in our day, of course, it would have been thrown away. All the disease and food experts tell us and caution us about safe food handling. These leftovers would not pass the health department's inspection. It's amazing how wasteful we are, especially considering how some people in our world suffer from famines and starvation. Our wastefulness is shown on trash day when many of those giant red trash cans are overflowing. Anyway, it's interesting to hear what the secularists will say about the world and humanity in general. They look at mankind as an accident or a product of evolution, and they think that we are destroying the world, and because of it, we're going to, we human beings will someday go extinct, as if we are waste or as if we are disposable. But in contrast to that, God has a different view of man, for he created the entire universe. He made us in a very special way as he formed the dust of the earth and breathed into it life for Adam and created Eve from Adam's rib. He created us in the image of God. He gave us souls and he loves us. We are no accidents. We are no results of chance, but he loves us so much that even though we rebelled, he sent his only begotten son to redeem us and to reconcile us to our Father. Now, there may be times in our lives where it may seem like God is not paying attention to the details. Or we might think that our own life is just but a minute detail in the grand scheme of things. We may be tempted to think, if only God changed this detail in my life, then I would not be enduring this or that. But the reality is that God certainly pays attention to all the details in our lives. God has promised, as it is written in Romans chapter 8, that he uses all things for the good of those who love him. All things work together for our good. And look at the very detail that is found even in our own bodies and in, in the world and how it all works together. There are so many details that God had done and he has not forgotten. When we suffer bodily, we may think that there's a detail that God had somehow missed, but he hasn't. Look at all the details that still function that we may not be even paying attention to. Our, our lungs, our brain, our muscles, our bones, our stomachs, our, the blood 
that we carry, our various cells, there's really no list to the great detail that is involved even in the human body or the great detail that is involved in sustaining life on this planet. For God does not miss out on these details. And even so, and even more so, there's no detail that God has missed out on when it comes to your own salvation. One detail that I already had referenced that John reports on that might not seem to be so significant, but it is, is that the Passover is now near. This is an indication that Christ our Lord is about halfway through his public ministry, and this Passover had very profound significance because the Passover was a feast that reminded the people when it was when it reminded the people of its original Passover in which they, God passed over the people and rescued them from Egypt. So it was a way for the people to see that they are God's children. And it was a way for the people to understand that God had saved them from their bondage to the Egyptians. But even more so, the Passover pointed them ahead to Christ who is the Passover lamb who would serve as the Passover lamb by dying on the cross. So as they celebrated the Passover, they would recognize that Jesus is the coming Savior who would cause, who, who would then pass over our sins because Jesus paid for them all on the cross, and then he would give us all the gift of eternal life. He, pa he saves us through, through the work of Christ. And so this is an important detail that is included here. Also, Jesus had used this bread to feed the multitude. He took from very little and gave them a lot, and Jesus does the same for us. His single death atoned for the sins of the entire world and paid for the sins of all people, everybody. And Jesus, who is risen and seated at the right hand of the Father, is now present in the Lord's Supper everywhere where it is celebrated. When the bread and wine are blessed, the body and blood of Jesus are truly there. He is not limited to heaven as some have asserted, but as we receive the bread and wine, we are receiving the very body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And this is so not just because God has the power to do all things, but because God's word accomplishes that which God pleases. It pleases God to make himself present in the Lord's Supper through his word. And so we rejoice that God continues to pay attention to every last detail in our lives and that he accomplishes his will through his word. He is truly the promised prophet as the people acknowledged when he fed the 5,000. And Jesus will, would not, did not come to reign as an earthly king as they wanted, but Jesus came for even better to be our heavenly king. He is seated at the right hand of the Father because he has defeated death in the grave. He died on the cross and rose triumphantly from the grave to give us life and salvation. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.